Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So we share our fears, our worries, our concerns. And also I think the person who's expressing their fears, you know, like expressing a fear and like, I'm concerned you're going to do that thing you always do is probably not a very helpful way to, to I'm concerned because concern. you've historically been disappointing and I'm exactly. concerned you'll once again disappoint me is not how this is supposed to go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined, as ever, by my intrepid co-host, Rodney Evans. (laughs) More intrepid by the week, it seems. Hello, everyone. Today, we're also joined by Alex Jamieson and Bob Gower, the authors of Radical Alignment, a new book. Alex and Bob, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a special kind of conversation, one that leads to uh, what they call radical alignment. But before we dig into that, as always, we must check in. We must, and we will. And I've been asking a check-in question this week. I don't know where it came from, but it delights me in every (laughs) single meeting. So I'm going to do it here. And that question is particularly appropriate for a podcast. What is weird about your face? What is one thing that is weird about your face? That is perfect. Uh, Let's go Aaron, then Alex, then Bob, then me. What is weird about my face is that I have a scar on my chin, quite a deep scar, from when I was, I want to say, like four years old, and I tried to climb up a stool and unlock the front door to escape the house. And I fell and cut my chin on the bolt lock to the point where I needed to go have stitches and they, I don't know, the doctors, they didn't have all the like plastic surgery techniques back then. So now it's quite a prominent scar. And it's it would be if it was one half inch to the right, it would be like a Superman perfect chin. <laughs> but instead, it's off center. And so I just look like a weirdo. <laughs> nice. Alex? Uh, I'm also going to go with a scar on my upper eyebrow, which I got when I was three years old, dancing around the living room to the I Love Lucy theme song, (laughs) ran into the coffee table. When my parents took me to the emergency room to get stitches, the doctor asked me what happened. And I said, my mommy cut me with a knife. (gasps) That was 1978. And the doctor just laughed it off. Exactly. Didn't care. <laughs> I would have been. You raise your in, kids how you like. <laughs> in foster care in a heartbeat. Yeah. Bob, what about you? I'm not going to tell my facial scar story. I'm going to tell the story of taking um, braces off too early. And so I have like overlapping teeth on, mm. on the, the lower teeth. And I love coffee and, and red wine. And there, it, it, it gets a little stained in there. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm old now, you know, so now, now my teeth are like dark and overlapping and weird. 
British teeth. British teeth. Old, old man Gower has the teeth to show for it. There you, That's go. Great. There you go. I love it. Mine is mine is injury related but invisible. I fractured my skull when I was a kid riding, riding or more accurately being thrown from a horse going over a jump. And the w- reason that it makes my face weird, in my opinion, is that it had it. One of my eyebrows is lower than the other one because of the scar tissue from where the fracture was. And so now either with some, you know, Botox makeup, some combination of the two, I basically have it like lifted so that it's the same height as my other eyebrow, because otherwise I always feel like one side of my face looks a little droopy. I've never hmm. noticed that. Yeah, you wouldn't. Cause I, you know, Sneaky. I do what I must to, to Sneaky. have symmetry in my face. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You and Idris Elba. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right, look, so that was a super wacky check-in. I love it. Everyone should go do that this week. But in the meantime, we're going to we're gonna jump in. And Bob and Alex are here to talk about the new book, Radical Alignment. It's worth noting before we even jump in on the book that Bob and Rodney and I used to work together. So there's some past history here. And obviously, we've known Alex all along the way. So this is kind of a friends and family episode, if you will. And I guess we just want to start by introducing this concept, right? You call it the all-in method in the book. We know it in in history as the ICBD method, but can you just walk the audience through what this method is and how it works? Yeah, sure. So I'm sure your listeners are probably familiar. Sometimes we have to do sort of remedial training on things like psychological safety and the sort of architecture of trust and you know, why that might actually be important for a team, you know, and, and some, some people still don't quite seem to quite seem to get that, but the folks that do really get it still seem to have, you know, kind of a hard time. And I'm speaking, you know, quite a bit for myself here, have a hard time, you know, generating trust or generating psychological safety sort of the, and, and the, the idea behind the book and the methodology is really an answer to, okay, how do you do that? You know, like let, mm-hmm. let's have, a somewhat linear process that's going to allow us to hopefully build a little bit of empathy for each other, increase trust, increase an understanding, kind of maybe the, the way to think about it is it contextualizes behavior in sort of values, fears, you know, sort of personal boundaries, kind of what helps you be your best and also your personal vision and your dreams. And so the conversation is just a, a way to walk through sort of those four buckets and build a little bit of context for talking to each other. I don't know. Did I ramble a bit there? Do you have something to add? <laughs> I like to call it a really simple way to talk about tough topics or emotional issues where everybody wins. Yeah. And it really, the, you know, we find that we apply the methodology. We try to apply it before things get difficult, right? So it's, it's a way to talk about difficult topics um, we've sometimes talked about it as sort of, you know, the idea behind a prenuptial agreement is that you have the difficult conversation about what you're going to, you know, what are we going to do when we don't like each other right now? Like, let's, let's talk about it, this while we still like each other, like before mm-hmm. the stuff comes to the fore, before the stuff really comes up, <laughs> let's really have an understanding about, you know, let, let's kind of lean into the difficult conversations rather than put them off until, you know, they're, they're just so difficult to have. And again, where we find misalignments happening in teams is usually when, or in rela- any kind of relationship really, is when somebody gets triggered, right? So uh, we stumble over a fear that they have that we didn't know that they were going to have, or maybe we're just, we don't understand, you know, why somebody is doing something, just like, you know, what motivates them, what their, 
which usually is, is about their values. Like what's important to you about this might be different from what's important to me about this. Mm-hmm. And then likewise, sort of the vision, like what are we working towards? What's our, what's our dream is also, I can, we can maybe walk through the methodology if you like. I yeah, feel like I'm I dancing just, around that a little bit Yeah, right you're, now. you're previewing it and I feel like we're ready. I feel like we're prepared the for movie. the main event. Show us. <laughs> Let's get right into it. All right. Should we do a professional topic or a personal topic or the one that straddled both for us? <laughs> what do you think? Let's let's straddle. So we're gonna we'll we'll kind of use an example uh, of us writing this book together. So I guess we should clarify. So you know, Alex and I are are partners in life, but we have never been partners in business before. Very very intentionally so, because mm-hmm. we had both. I think you know this is not our first rodeo relationship wise. Where we we got together when we were a bit older, and we had all both had sort of bad experiences mixing business and and intimacy or intimate relationships in the past. And so when we finally did feel very pulled towards doing this project together, writing this book, we felt that we needed to have a very clear conversation. And so you want to kick us off, Alex? Yeah. So we go through our intentions and just a little bit of like facilitator goody here. You know, we don't talk over (laughs) each other. (laughs) We don't talk over each other. We don't argue points. We're basically just listening to the other person about each specific bucket. Mm-hmm. So my intentions for writing this book together were to, I wanted to have fun. Like, can we do this? I kind of wanted to see, is this possible? Can we write a book together? We could maybe make some money. Maybe mm-hmm. big question mark. We could grow our audience. We could, you know, we could also put something good out into the world. So when you say, see if we could do this together, what's the this in that? Not only write a book, but like publish a book and market a book, the whole kit and caboodle that goes along with that. And then actually like provide trainings and and build a business with that. So your, your intention, the emphasis was less about the together on that and more about the this, because you said do this together. Hmm. Does that make sense? No. (laughs) <laughs> so can we do this or can, can we, we do this together? Right. Like, can we write this book together? Like the, so I guess my question is, <laughs> see, we have to clarify things. Do we, you guys want us to, to leave? listen to yeah. each other? <laughs> yeah, should we, should we step back? <laughs> We're just having a are difficult we, conversation about something. Are we in process? <laughs> I'm wondering if, if the, if the, if the potential was doing it together, like if that was the real potential or if it was just doing the, you know, it didn't matter. Like, us doing it together, but it just sort of you, us, you know, you doing a book and you publishing a book and you writing a book. Well, I'd written books before, yeah. so I knew I could do that. So the emphasis is more on the together piece. Like, is this something that we can collaborate on? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's your intention for this? <laughs> um, well, my intention was to make money potentially to expand the business and to kind of explore doing a creative project with you, mm-hmm. like to really see what that did for, you know, it kind of been adding a new dimension to our relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Step one complete. That's it. Step Step one, one. step one complete. So, and then, you know, just kind of expose a little bit and, you know, and even acknowledge that I generated a little bit of tension by asking Alex some questions there, but really the intention here is to listen and try to understand as much. And I had never quite heard her say, do this. And then it was do this together. And I was just kind of curious about it. And so I asked, and again, 
we like each other pretty well. So it was easy enough to kind of lean into the difficult <laughs> part of that conversation there. Mm. But then and the before ne- you guys move on yeah, to the next ahead. step, because sure. I, I actually think that that level of specificity and clarity around intention is, is quite helpful and quite critical. So, so like, what would you tell, like, the example that we just witnessed is a great one. When someone is doing this first step of this exercise at home and someone expresses an intention, what should we be listening for if we're in that conversation to be sure we're really clear? Well, I, I liked Bob's question because it, it gives a great example of what we coach around with this, which is it's okay to ask clarifying questions. Uh-huh. Like if you're not really clear about what they're saying, or you just, you feel like there's another level of detail that you would like to hear. It's okay to ask a question as long as it's not a veiled, like, mm. oh, you want to do that? <laughs> like, do you really want to do that? No. If it's a clarifying question, that's fine. But if it's an underhanded dig at somebody, please keep that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, a, qu- a question on a commentary. And then the the what we're trying to get at with intentions is really understanding why why somebody does something, which is really driven by their values, right? And so one example we often use is talking about going on vacation as a couple, right? That one person can want adventure and the other person can want to relax, but both people can want to go on vacation. And so mm-hmm. the underlying value or the underlying need is maybe a little bit different. You can still probably craft a, con- a, a vacation that that serves both needs. But if you don't kind of surface that, you know, what kind of what's important to each person first, you may end up running into running into some trouble, right? Yeah. So just kind of pulling that out early on. Awesome. And and I'll be honest, I mostly avoided tough or emotional conversations in my work and in my life because I didn't know how to organize a conversation. It felt like a free for all, right? There wasn't Mm -hmm. a structure. Once you break the seal. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, there's this, there's this thing that's upsetting or potentially upsetting. Cause we, you know, we say this is for like high stakes, you know, things that both people care about, either it's going to be something very important, you know, in terms of things we really care about, usually like money and kids and life and business and, you know, the, 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 the things that, are, that, that excite us, or there are things that may be potentially triggering, even though they might not be particularly high stakes. They just sort of, because of our personal histories or because of who we are, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of triggering. And if we're going to talk about something like that in an amorphous sort of way, we're sort of asking for trouble, right? Whereas this gives us a little bit of structure to have that more organic conversation inside. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we should probably push this episode before Thanksgiving then. There you (laughs) go. Agreed. Yes. We use this every time we go to visit family. Mm -hmm. We use it for ourselves. Yep. (laughs) Every time. We've actually had a couple of people ask us, can you teach us how to do this for COVID Thanksgiving? Because we're not Mm. sure how to Mm -hmm. organize this. Mm-hmm. Nice. So after you all share your intentions, you go into concerns, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but it's really okay. <laughs> it's okay. And actually, this was so revelatory to both of us in this particular conversation about the book. It turns out our fears and our worries, which had been unexpressed, were keeping us from moving forward with the idea. So before we go into it, let me just say, we agree, and we talk about this in the book, to not take the other person's fears personally, Mm -hmm. right? Our brains are worry machines. I may have fears that involve Bob, 
but I know that it's mostly my brain that's just coming up with worst case scenarios. I'm not blaming him for anything he hasn't done. So we share our fears, our worries, our concerns. And also I think the person who's expressing their fears, you know, like expressing a fear and like, I'm concerned you're going to do that thing you always do is probably not a very helpful way to, to I'm concerned because concern. you've historically been disappointing and I'm exactly. concerned you'll once again disappoint me is not how this is supposed to go. Noted. Yeah. Got it. Right. And we also invite people to actually share irrational fears as well as rational fears. Cause often I think mm. when we're going to, when we're sharing concerns, there's often this pressure to be like, well, I'm concerned about this because of this very logical and very rational thing that might happen. And that's, you know, I mean, that's certainly fair game and, and really great information, especially if you're planning a big project, right? To be able to kind of get people's concerns out onto the table so maybe you can mitigate them. But it's also really fun just to play with the, with, with what our brains do, the, the crazy that our brains naturally generate, the, the negativity bias that we all have. And so kind of giving people as a facilitator, giving people permission to like go ahead and be irrational and have some fun with this can often also help them sort of be more complete and unlock and, and make it a little less scary to share. Yeah. So my nice. fears were, maybe I'm going to hate writing with you, or maybe you'll hate my writing or, you know, we'll just basically all of my fears came down to, we're going to fight this is going to be horrible. We're going to get divorced and I'm going to die alone penniless under a bridge in a van. Like that's the end result of all my fears. That's it. Was that a rational fear or a real rational That was it. No combo. big deal. That's heavy. It's a combo. <laughs> it's a combo. When, and when we shared that, we actually both ended up having the, having the same. Because again, this is not, you know, our first relationship and, you know, we've both been through heartbreak and heartache before. And I think and tension, you know, around a project, uh, introducing new tension, certainly that was a fear of mine. And then also, you know, I had a lot of rational fears like this, you know, writing, we'd both, both written books in the past and writing a book is time consuming. Publishing is not necessarily an industry where, you know, m you, you make a lot of money. It's not a, you know, a, a book is not, not, a, not a great, you, you need to do other things with it for it to really have the impact on your business and to be It's worthwhile. a great lottery ticket. It's a, <laughs> exactly. it's a heavy lottery. It's ticket. a heavy, uh, yeah. And I know you know a thing or two about writing books too, Aaron. But just like how time consuming it is, and I think I was, you know, very concerned about it pulling attention away from other things that were, but either personal or professional, that were, you know, more valuable, more more regenerative, more enjoyable, more valuable. And actually, I had another concern that helped us with the third part of the conversation, and I had a concern that in my last marriage, we had created this big project together. And there was a, let's say a lack of clarity around contribution and ownership mm. of the product mm. Mm -hmm. that became really heartbreaking and, you know, trust was destroyed and it really did contribute to the, the, you know, the ending of the relationship. And I was just terrified that that was going to happen again. Yeah. So I should say that like this allowed us to generate a couple of quick rules. And one rule was that, you know, we would own it 50-50. We actually put it as a project underneath my S-Corp. We both had our own S-Corps at the time. We combined S-Corps. We ended up, you know, she, Alex now owns 50% of Bob Gower Inc., which is really fun. <laughs> she sure does. <laughs> she sure does. But we just, we, we got very, very clear about contribution. We got very clear about, you know, to kind of distribution of, you know, it sounds kind of weird because we share finances already as a couple, but we just wanted to be really, really clear about that. And the other thing we got very clear on is that either of us could cancel the project 
unilaterally at any time or, or cancel their our personal involvement. The other person could take the project and run with it if they wanted to. But we but either of us could just sort of like tap out mm. unilaterally when we felt it was it was too much. And that gave us, I think, a real sense of safety as we as we worked on the project. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to bucket three. We're which halfway is kind, home. Which we're halfway there. We're, and we're, all, we're, all, we're halfway through the hard part because the, the last one is really the, we're over halfway through the hard part. But the next one is boundaries. And the way we frame boundaries is really twofold, which is what helps you do? And I know at the ready, you all really love the question of what helps you do the best work. You know, when, when have you done or when can you do, when do you do the best work of your life? And so we sort of ask people like, what helps you be your best? What are the, what are the conditions? What are the circumstances? Sort of maybe sort of internal mindset and external, you know, kind of circumstances and conditions that really help you perform at your best. And that can be everything from what time of day do I like to have meetings, you know, or do I answer, you know, do I have kids and therefore turn off my phone and not answer, you know, when do I answer email? Not that I have kids to turn off your phone, right? But when do I answer email? When do I not? When do I answer phone? How do I like to be communicated with? All of those kinds of things that really help us be our best. You know, I like to block out mornings for deep work, those kinds of things, right? And so, and then also what ha- what has us feel safe, right? And that can be a lot around how feedback gets delivered to us. You know, again, sort of the words that people use, how people communicate with us, when they communicate with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for boundaries, we already actually talked about a couple of boundaries that we actually created on the fly, which was these rules about canceling the project or what was the other rule? <laughs> canceling the project or, you know, the other person oh, should just run with it if they want. And also to. the sharing of credit, like the, yeah. the, that equal sharing of credit. So those were kind of two rules. So rules can be, these can either be things that are our personal things we know about ourselves. And sometimes we suggest things for the project at the same time. So sort of rules mm-hmm. or working agreements that sit around the project. Yeah. But the, but the primary thing is really what helps you be your best. Mm-hmm. So I'm picturing helps. a boundary where Bob is like, I don't respond to texts about this project after 6 p.m. and you guys are sitting at the dinner table and Alex is texting texting you and you're just like no (laughs) we agreed to this boundary I will not respond and it's just that the visual imagery of that is really delightful to me I I agree, but I think the scenario is more likely to happen in the opposite direction. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. We have a 13 year old and I think, and so actually phones, we, we, we've made a good study, especially now in quarantine, like just turning, having, needing that, that break between work day and and private and personal day. We actually have a place where we put our phones to bed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But, but, I'm trying to remember what the boundaries were for this. Well, one was around editing, remember? Yeah. Mm. Oh, I love our editing rules. Yeah. So our editing was basically edit away so that one person wrote, we, we figured out what the kind of the structure of the book was going to be in the, and the chapters. And then one of us would write a rough draft of the chapter and then give it to the other person. And then the other person could do whatever they wanted to with it, mm-hmm. whatever nice. sounded good or felt good to them. With the understanding, you know, we're using Google, so non-destructive editing, you know, we can always go back and look at the history, but at the same time, it would, you know, the idea, cause the idea of editing each other, like that was really scary. Yeah. Like to yeah. be like, Oh, did you mean this? And then I'd have to like tiptoe around it. Oh, did you mean that? <laughs> oh my God. And the endless meetings you would have to do. I'm like, that is going to drain the joy out of this project for me in a day. Yeah. And I think it's one reason that the book developed 
what's really wonderful, like we've both written books in the past and it was really interesting to see that this book had its, had a kind of a third voice. It wasn't like right, right. oscillating between one voice and the other voice, mm-hmm. but this other voice that was us emerged from it and it was a re- it made it a really rich process. And then we just had rules around, actually, I think this was, you, you touched on it, Rodney, but Alex had a, definitely a request that there be time when we do not discuss this project, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> which I had to be reminded of frequently. Yeah. I need to turn off. Yeah. <laughs> and then once you get through your boundaries, and by the way, we have, we consider boundaries an ongoing discussion. And I think this is also, yeah, it's open-ended. It's not like I am demanding this. I have chiseled it in stone. You will now bow down to my boundaries. It is, I mean, there are certainly places where you do need to respect somebody else's boundaries of safety, et cetera, but they can evolve. They can change. And I'm sure along the way of writing, we'd be like, Hey, you know, that boundary I had, that's not a thing anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. don't worry about that. Or, Oh, I have a new boundary. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. So it it can pop up with this shared vocabulary that we have now. Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries are important, but I know Rodney, we were talking about your dogs before we turned this on. Like, you know, you probably have to have boundaries for your dogs, but they probably should be flexible as well, or else you're going to go insane. (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. And then we end on a high note, we end on dreams. And this is, I think, something that gets skipped over a lot. We, in most important conversations or emotional topics, we just go into problem solving mode. And then we're like, okay, everybody go do your thing, what you're supposed to do now. But we're not Mm -hmm. there yet. We want to share, like, what would be the, the best ideal outcome for me, for you, for us? You know, what do I want to be feeling myself at the end of this? What do I want to experience through the process? What do I want to see happen for you in this? How do I want us to be doing at the end of all this? It's a really valuable part that should not be skipped over. It's not just a nice to have. It's not just a, you know, a fluffy, airy, fairy thing. You actually release oxytocin together. You might actually inspire the heck out of yourselves to work harder and really come together as a team. That's that's what I think the benefit of this part is. And before you both model dreams, can I just ask, we did intentions. How is dreams different? Or why do we need to do it again? I'm so glad you asked. So, and this actually puzzled me for a little bit when, when working with this process. And I, by the way, I've been working with this, or we've been working with this for close to a decade now. And, and it, it always sort of reveals... It's such a simple thing, but then it kind of reveals new richness. But one of the things we notice is that intentions is sort of what gets you. It's why you might open the door at all, right? It's just sort of like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to do this because, you know, money, I want to make some money and I want to create something new and I want to learn something going. and I want to, you know, yeah. it's just kind of what gets you going, but it's not yet a vision that really pulls you forward, right? It's not yet that inspiring vision that kind of like, And there's a really good reason, I think almost, you know, kind of from a a psychopharmacological perspective, right? Like neurophysiology, you know, like it, it, we're releasing oxytocin together. We're bonding in a certain way by hearing each other's vision, like the best possible future. And if we start with intentions, you know, like if we just kick it off with, I want to make a lot of money, like it doesn't quite have the, the emotional resonance. Once we've gone through concerns and boundaries and kind of dug Mm -hmm. into the deep and harder stuff. 
it's very, it's, it's really, I think from an interpersonal standpoint, it's wonderful to hear each other's visions. And then just from a personal standpoint, it's really wonderful to get clear on, well, what, what would be the best case scenario of this? Because sometimes we're doing projects almost because we're afraid, like, well, my, the reason I'm, I'm doing this project because my boss told me to, right? Like it's almost, Mm -hmm. there's almost like a fear component to it. But then when we connect with our vision or in our dreams, it really gives us an opportunity to say, well, there is something in this for me and here's what it is. And this is, this is what I, what, this is what I think it might be. So Got for it. you, Alex, what was your dream of this book? My dream would that be that I would feel like, I would love to feel so happy having created something with you. I just, I think that process of creating something with your partner is really magical. You know, we'll, we'd feel really proud of our work together. And to have this book about this conversation out in the world, we just, we've heard so many great stories from friends and colleagues who have used it and how helpful it's been. And there's nothing in the world like that for me. Like I love putting something useful out into the world. So I want, you know, I just imagine us like hearing stories back from people and getting to teach in front of people about the method that just you feel proud. I feel proud. Yeah. That. There you go. Yeah. And so, yeah. So dreams, I always like to be somewhat visceral, like kind of have a, put myself in a place and a time with them. And so for this one, and it's actually come true, which is having people that I've never met before, find the book, use the process, find it impactful, and then tell that story you know, and so like when I look at the Amazon reviews now, people are frequently telling stories about the difference that book made, or we get emails from time to time about people who have, who this process has helped them either personally or professionally, or sometimes both. And I think that's really the vision for me. That's really the dream for me is that I feel like it's made a deep impact. And of course, you know, I want it to be a New York times bestseller, which it's not yet, but <laughs> you know, there's still time. There's still time. Could be a awesome. sleeper hit. So I see B, D, four steps. We just heard it modeled and, and, and fully, you know, understood. Now, for anybody whose curiosity is piqued, when to use it. So you use the prenup as, as an analog. When else? Like, what are the signs in your relationship or environment that should signal that you could use a conversation like this? One of the use cases that's come up several times for us because of our son's age is like choosing a school, you know? Okay. So we've mm. got two parents and a kid who all mm -hmm. want to have their say about something and it's a big decision and there's a lot of moving pieces. And we actually had the conversation several times, you know, at the beginning of the year and then during the, you know, the visiting the high schools process and then mm -hmm. towards the end. And we've had other parents reach out and tell us that they they're using it for the same exact reason for college. You know, like the kid has an idea about what they want. The parents have other concerns and it's, it, it gets all of the ideas out on the table in a really respectful way that doesn't feel like a top down control. We're making this decision or parents worrying that their kids are just, making a choice based on where their friends are going. It really, it's a, a much richer decision-making process. Yeah. It's really for any time 
where things feel particularly high stakes or particularly emotional. And so in a professional context, I like to use it at at beginnings, right? So Mm -hmm. if I'm assembling a team to start and do a consulting project, I'll use it with the team. And then frequently I'll use it in the kickoff meeting with the, you know, the, the client as well. And so we'll all kind of come together. And so it's an opportunity to kind of bring people together, chartering new teams or, or, you know, kicking off new product teams, those kinds of things. Anytime that there's sort of significant change happening. And then I'll also use it frequently as a reset. I mean, it's a wonderful thing for like a leadership team offsite, you know, we, and you can constrain the time mm-hmm. and say, okay, it's our quarterly offsite or our annual offsite. Okay. So for the next year, you know, what's your intention for the next year? Why, why mm-hmm. do you want to, why do you want to be a part of this business for the coming year? What, what gets you through the door? What are you concerned about? What helps you be your best? And we find it's really the, it's, it's a good pre I'm losing the word right now. It's a good first thing to do before you do the other things, the other planning or the other, other parts of the sort of like project kickoff, the more operational or the more easy to understand part. So it's a, it's a really good thing to kind of ease you into the day or ease you into the, into the retreat. So let's, let's zoom into that for a second. So let's say I am going to do this at my team retreat and I've got seven or 10 or 15 or 20 people showing up in circle. Any tips about facilitating this? Am I going to hear all the intentions first? Am I going to hear everybody's ICBDs one at a time? Is there discussion how do you think about sort of facilitating larger groups or team-sized groups through the conversation? So a couple of things. One is, I, I mean, I also want to acknowledge that we're in a time when a lot of this is happening remotely. And we actually find that this works really well with remote teams. And it, it gives us the opportunity to add a little bit of anonymity into it. So we'll use an online tool. One of our favorites right now is a tool called Fun Retro, But we'll also use something like Mural or Miro, which is just, you know, post-it notes. And then if you're all together, using actual post-it notes and Sharpies is, is, is a wonderful way to go. We find it works best, especially if the group is large, is to ask the questions one at a time and to have people, and you can kind of do it one of two ways, and, and I'll, I'll vary it from time to time, but you can either go through and have everybody answer each question and just kind of collect their own notes to themselves. And so you get all four questions already answered, and then you kind of put them up all at once. And so then all of a sudden you get, you know, you, you see everything up on the wall or you can go one at a time. And that's sometimes a little richer. It takes a little more time because what you want is you want to get people say, everybody's written down their intentions. All the intentions now go up onto the wall. And then usually people want to read. If you're using these online tools, you can actually vote, you can comment, you can kind of, you know, move things up and down in the, in the column and rearrange things a little bit. And we think of that as sort of sense-making. And it can be kind of fun to take a little bit of time with everybody's intentions and ask people like, well, what do you notice? What are the similarities? Was there anything that was surprising to you? Getting people to ask clarifying questions of each other. Uh, it can be really rich. If you have a really small team, simply sitting with each other and going around the room and having somebody, we always la- we always like people to do a little bit of journaling, whether it's on Post-it notes or not, before they answer but you can simply ask people, give them like two minutes to journal and then actually just speak their answer into the room. But with a team, it's really nice to have a physical artifact. What have you learned about that? The trade-offs, I guess, or the pros and cons of the anonymity 
of doing a written tool driven thing versus kind of the intimacy of the spoken word into the room? Yeah. So for organizations, we walk into rooms where there are sometimes years of calcified emotion, unexpressed emotion, kind of sitting there ready, waiting. Toxicity, to toxic- oppression, yeah. racism. Yeah, exactly. All of the above, you know, and you kind of have to crack the the top of the creme brulee to, to get to the good stuff underneath, right? And what we find is, actually, I ran this recently with an organization where the CEO was almost incensed that I would ask that I would offer anonymity as an option. He's like, we have a very positive culture here. It's very safe. It's very, you know, and what we found is that there was an awful lot going on in the organization that he was completely unaware of because his version of safety was not everybody else's version of safety. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, especially I think in organizations where there is, where that calcification and, you know, you can feel it, right? Like it's not, it's not something that you necessarily need to quantify logically, I often just walk into a room and I'm like, wow, people are a little bit tense. We better go anonymous here. Doing post-it notes physically together, you sort of, you're splitting the difference a little bit because people, as they're Mm -hmm, writing, mm -hmm. it feels very personal, but it's still traceable back to the person. But even when it's purely, purely anonymous, I often find people will say, oh, that one was mine. You know, like we'll, mm-hmm. if we'll start to mm-hmm. talking about one and people wonder, well, what does that mean? Somebody will raise their hand and say, and they'll, it gives them an opportunity to have a little more courage than they might normally have in that room. Yeah, that's cool. Um, a couple of things that I've noticed just as I listen to you all talk about this, besides the fact that Bob doesn't know which part of the creme brulee is the best, which is obviously- I was going to say the same I'm thing. Honestly, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> like, give me but, yours, please. I'll take yeah. it. We have not had enough dessert together. But besides that, you know, there, there are things about just the explicit nature of this or any other liberating structure that is out there that like, I think can make it feel in some ways simple, but what comes out of it is something that is very nuanced and very sophisticated. And one of the things that I particularly like about this framing of a conversation is that I think a lot of times in relationships, we make compromises without any real guardrails around them. So it's like we make, we compromise our desires based on inference and assumption and a whole and history and shenanigans. And to me, what's really cool about ICBD is like, we can make a very specified compromise or trade-off. No, if we must, if, if our intentions say are in conflict or prevent us from having it both ways or whatever the thing is. So that's like one, one noticing that I have. I'm wondering what some of the noticings have been that have sort of surprised or delighted you as you've seen people really make this a habit and get beyond just like, oh, wow, we're really doing this and having a conversation and into some of like the higher order benefits or, or consequences of, of having conversations contained and framed in this way. Yeah, I'll share one that I noticed in myself that I now notice in the clients and the groups that I lead. And, you know, maybe it's like when you buy a blue Honda, you start seeing blue Hondas everywhere. But I noticed in myself that finally having a structured way to talk about tough things actually brought me so much ease that I became a lot more courageous 
in broaching tough topics. I like to call it freedom with a framework. You know, I'm like, okay, I've got something, like you said, I've got some guardrails. So I know that the conversation isn't going to go off into the past, like, okay, so we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about vacation, but all of a sudden we're relitigating something that happened five years ago. Like, that's exactly why I avoided tough conversations because in my family of origin, when a fight started, everything was on the table. <laughs> like it would get, you know, down and dirty. And well, you did that thing six years ago. So we're going to talk about that now. So having the framework, and I've noticed this with my own clients as well, who are mainly women leaders, women in sales, women in sales, uh, tech sales, that having that just real quick one, two, three, four things to run through brings this level of ease and confidence to the topics. Like, okay, I have a sense of where this is going to go, even if I don't know what the other person's going to say. And because the whole point of the all-in method is to have a topic that you are talking about, it's not going to go off the rails, right? We've got something to come back to. Okay. Oh, what are we talking about? We're talking about this. Yeah. That point you brought up, let's have another conversation about that later. It just, it brings such clarity and calm to, you know, previously really rough conversations. Yeah. And and I'll say, I think that we, we always refer to this as kind of playing scales, that this is not, you know, we, we, our, our goal is to play jazz, but in order to play jazz, you have to have a language, you have to have something that sits behind it. And so what I really love is hearing people later bring out, you know, they'll use the language of the process, but in a more organic way, they'll say, wait a minute, I have a concern about that. And what I find is that people then are listening to the concern in a different way because we've tuned them to simply listen and not take concerns personally or people might realize, oh, I have another boundary, or I have a suggested boundary for this team that we work in this way. Um, I have an intention right now, and that is to draw this episode to a close. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very smooth use of, of the framework. <laughs> Bob and nice. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Aaron and Rodney. It was great to hear your voices again. It was so nice to have you. And uh, to our listeners out there who are getting all the dank nugs from Bob and Alex, we would love, in exchange for their service to you, a review for us. Uh, It really helps us with getting this podcast into the hands of those who need it in their organizations, in their teams, and in their marriages. So we appreciate (laughs) your help. We can't do it without you. Please review us or pass us along. As always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making all four of us sound good today. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work, often through conversation. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. <laughs> <laughs>